Hello and welcome to The Groove, where we zero in on the outstanding marketing leaders and the MarTech innovators driving profitable growth at the intersection, that exciting intersection of content and context where all of the opportunity is. And today we have a dynamic duo of sorts because they're harnessing AI to personalize the experience, personalize pricing, appeal to a diverse audience, and also one of the most innovative and inclusive dating apps and a force behind the vibrant LGBTQ community. We bring it all together because we have both perspectives. We have, first of all, Cosmic Latte, which has over 15 million users worldwide, is the dating app. And we welcome the company CEO, Milan Kovacic. Great to have you, Milan. And uh, yeah, where are you based, by the way? It's my pleasure to be here. So we are based from Prague. Okay. But the team is pretty differentiated. Some people are in Warsaw, some people are in different cities in Czech Republic, some people are in Berlin. So it's it's a very diverse bunch. Indeed, indeed it is. And 15 million users worldwide, which makes you a global force. And we're going to talk about how you're using AI and what better way to do it than talk to a huge AI enthusiast, because we're going to learn about his personal passion as well as the business impact. And we dive into how companies can harness data to develop both personal experiences and also experiences that literally pay dividends. We talk to an AI maverick in this space because we welcome Jakob Kudik, CTO and co-founder of Aceterio an AI space maverick, as I have said. So we have both of the perspectives on how to win with AI. Great to have you as well, Jakob. And where are you based? Thank you, Fedegi. A pleasure to be here. So I'm currently in our Bratislava office. We're a US-based company uh, with people uh, across Europe in multiple countries, multiple cities, Slovakia, uh, UK, Czech Republic, um, Spain and of course, New York and San Francisco. Yeah, I see that. I see Aceterio now. A lot of events, doing a lot of things. So again, a global force, a global dating app. As I said, we have two perspectives on the same topic and what a hot topic it is, right? How to use AI to personalize experiences and drive profitable growth in the process. It's about deepening the relationship with the customer, but of course you both have an interesting backstory about how you yourselves met. So why don't you share that? I think I know Jakub for 10 years-ish, maybe a bit more, 15. Um, so we are both debaters. I, I think it's a quite decided that we are, we used to be quite good. I'm retired now, I would guess <laughs> Jakub as well. I think I first time met you when you were essentially a child and I was, I'm a slightly bit older though. It doesn't look like that. I used to, I used to judge some of your debates and I remembered you because you were quite good. And then, you know, we sort of like bubbled up. You went to MIT, I went to Oxford and then we met again on the, um, sort of business playing field as partners, which is a lovely story indeed. An absolute coincidence. You know, I was talking to, uh, our sales team. They were like, yeah, we just talked to this uh cool dating app and their ceo milan you know he mentioned that he might know you i was like wait well milan i know milan we go way way back and you know uh that really helped us uh you know, build that business relationship as well but, now milan i know that you have a background in ai i think you just finished a degree at oxford in uh 
AI, is that correct? Yeah, so um, it's actually a cool story because I um, wanted to progress my education. I did my MSc years ago in Amsterdam. I was looking at uh, like potential postgraduate in Oxford and there was this AI thing and I have mathematics background, so it can be interesting. So I applied and I also did like a letter for stipendia because it's quite expensive, right? So you want to like cut the cost as much as you can. And I got the acceptance letter and the acceptance to stipendia one week before the release of ChatGPT. So I was like, well, I was incredibly lucky, right? Because this year it's incredibly competitive. Like the acceptance rate went down 3x. So this year I would have great troubles getting the stipendia through because the competition just gets so much fiercer. So I got just very blessed that I made this like sort of random choice of a gut and it ended up being um, probably one of the best education choices of my career. That is wild. And what luck. I mean, right before it hit. I was just going to say that, that Milan's technical background made it really easy for us to communicate. So he understood very well that you know, the advantages that AI can bring to his to his app. Um, so, so we were on the same page very, very early on in the process. Yes, so for me, it's actually been a journey as well. I started my degree as a mechanical engineer and then sort of like saw the power of, of computer science and then the AI did my first company uh, in AI was for a medical purpose. We did uh, cancer diagnostics and spent some time in the travel industry and then eventually sort of merged my passion for gaming with my with my passion for data analytics and, and AI. And Milan knows this uh, just as well as I do. The pace of research and innovation in AI is so high, like it's almost impossible to keep up, especially uh, in, in language models and GPT. Uh, it's incredible. It's like, what a time to be alive. We talked about the fun part, how you guys got together. Now let's get to the business of the app, right? Because Asacherio is personalizing the experience with you that you offer, Milan, with Zoe, right? And that's your lesbian dating app, 15 million users worldwide. What is that experience and how has AI made it better? When I became a CEO two years ago, I did my analysis, the 360 sort of data uh, data picture, and I figured out that one of the most effective levers I can pull as a CEO is pricing. We used to cost $10 everywhere in India and in Switzerland, which of course is nonsensical, right? And we did a quick A-B testing and optimized quite a bit. I think thanks to a few rounds of A-B testing, we went up 10, 15%. So I understood, wow, this is a lever that I can pull. So then when um, Jakub's co-founder came and started to chat me up about this like AI individualized pricing tool, I was like, yeah, I know this works. I know this is a lever that can like deliver value. So it's not just uh, like pure numbers and moving the PNL, which I mean, of course, that's my job, but it's also the like benefit to the community and, um, you know, getting a little bit more equality in terms of access to our premium features. So that's how we use Asetario. So it's really, in a way, you're helping your community, you're treating them as individuals based on the fact that they really have very personalized pricing. I'm sure they have also personalized messaging and other aspects of the service as well, but it starts with the accessibility, you know, enabling access. Of course, theoretically, you could like have a workaround and do it either manually or have a decision tree somewhere implemented, but it's just cumbersome. It takes forever to adapt. And also, I mean, we operate on over 100 markets, so the level of granularity is just not feasible for a company that is in the scale-up phase. I mean, AI makes it quick and rather precise. And how it how it works, and like building on your point of being inclusive, so if you are a, 
um, a poor student and you are running an Android phone of an old model, then we give you a very low price. And if you are somebody who has the newest iPhone three weeks after release and you are logging in from central Manhattan, then, I mean, you can probably offer to pay more and then, you know, everybody can participate in the community. So I really see this as, to a certain extent, an equalizing tool. Exactly. Um, it, it becomes, the price becomes more fair. Um, and this is not something that's new, right? We see this everywhere. We see it at, in Netflix pricing. Uh, even some countries in the Nordics have um, fines based on uh, people's income. And as you said yourself, it's about being fair to your audience, understanding your audience. This audience can afford this, this can afford that. Jakob, I have to ask you though, Milan, of course, he does focus on this. And not many marketers, you know, understand where they can tap into the superpower of AI. Um, you know, and they miss some of the things that Milan has picked up on. What are you seeing that marketers really connect with, but what they might be ignoring, leaving on the table. I mean, in general, right, you have, in a very big picture, you have three levers that you can pull. Uh, you can change the product, you can change the audience that you're targeting, and then you can change how you're monetizing them. Uh, so changing products is, is difficult and lengthy and, and unpredictable. Whereas uh, for UA, you know, changing audiences and, and UA campaigns is something that UA managers and marketers do on a daily basis, it's it's sort of this this um, very interesting mix of, of art and science, of uh, experience and, and data. Monetization is a lot about data. Uh, it's it's a lot about uh, experiments because you control a larger part of the environment. Asetero does two products. One is uh, personalization, so that's that's the product that, that Cosmic Latte and, and Zoe is, is using, and you know obvi obviously requires. Uh, an understanding of the management and some sort of a, uh, an AI strategy. It requires there to be data collection in, in place because these machine learning models uh, train on user-generated data. And uh, then there needs to be a will to implement and, and understand the results and sort of like continue experimenting all the time. You know, with AI, um, you get the benefit of the model adjusting to the changes in the data and in the user base. So understanding uh, your audience and the quality of audience your, your UA campaigns are driving is the second product that Assetary offers, Predictive LTV, and that gives uh, marketers intelligence to adjust their, their budgets and their spend so that they get a higher quality audience or perhaps if they have different goals such as you know, high volume or uh, retargeting. So it allows them to make smarter decisions earlier in the process, you know, decide on future on predictions instead of the actual values. We should definitely talk about this one. We might, we might have a use for your second product as well, actually. Lots of, ah, <laughs> absolutely. There you go. Brought the two of you together to talk shop as well here, talk business. I want to stay with that though for a moment, Jakob, because what is fascinating and what I'm hearing here is that, you know, changing product, that's a tough one. That's heavy lifting. UA, you do do it. He just interest. He's just shown his interest in that. But it's also, you know, it's a, it's it's work. But what I am hearing here is that the monetization. Now that just might be the low hanging fruit because that is fairly simple to adjust. You know, you obviously have um, low hanging fruit, and then you can go deeper and deeper and squeeze in 
ever, ever more um, performance. The way we work with our uh, clients is almost in cycles. So we do an initial analysis of the app. We understand what is the potential in terms of, you know, what is the data that the client is collecting? What is what is the the monetization mechanics they currently have? So in case of, of a, a regular non-gaming app, they typically have um, subscriptions and uh, with, you know, perhaps different types of premium content, and then ads so, and ad monetization. With games, which we also work heavily with games, they tend to have more a, a larger variety of monetization mechanics or different verticals, you know, daily offers, event offers. We designed the, the first iteration of, of uh, the models. We go live, we test, and we come up with recommendations for what can be added to the game or to the app to in unlock even more uh, potential for for extra revenue through personalization. Milan, you choose pricing as a way to personalize the app, impact the LTV, obviously. How also did you make this decision? Because you know other people are saying, "Oh, I have to optimize the creative. I need to do the messaging." You know, whatever rethink segmentation, the works. You decide very focused, very targeted. Maybe that's your degree in AI coming through there, very targeted, I'm going to do this. When I was starting as a CEO, I did this split of what are the things that are influencing uh, my success, essentially, right? And for a dating app, um, one of the main levers would be number of users, their subscription rate, and how much you pay for subscription, right? If you multiply these three things, you essentially get your revenue. So we are obviously working on all three of them. And... Um, the price proved in the past to be a major lever. Um, as I mentioned, just by simple A-B testing, we did double digits uplift. So I knew that there is potential. I just needed something that would do it in a way that would make it feasible for my team. And the AI solution was perfect. Um, and I mean, they had very compelling pitch. So I figured like, yeah, why not? Let, let's give it a try. And I mean, so far it works. We are on the second big A-B test. And so far we have um, proven nothing but uplift. I'm like almost speechless here, Jakob, because I'm thinking just by adjusting, personalizing, you know, adapting the pricing, double digit uplift is, is massive. You know, it's, it's great for a dating app, but I don't know. I'm thinking, you know, retail companies, everybody who's monetizing with an app, this is like 2024 top of the business agenda as far as I'm concerned. This is an easy one, isn't it? Yes. Um, before starting the company, we did a lot of customer interviews. We came to understand that designers of apps and games, they're really focused on making these uh, apps and games as good as they can be. And through these conversations, we established a couple of, of uh, principles. One of them is that we want to make it super easy and super easy to use and, and friendly uh, for the developer. And also we want to tie our success to our client success. So that's why we get paid only if there is performance, which means we were very much incentivized to make it work for everybody. Uh, but as Milan said, you know, they would have arrived at the, at, at the sort of like optimal solution at some point. That would require uh, them to keep investing, either build their own internal solution or keep investing in, into human resources who readjusted based on a continuous A-B test. And you know, we just decided to build a company that focuses on this, so it automates it and sells it as a product um, you know, to allow Milan to not be, not need to think about this and, and go for you know, the other hundred things he has to do as a, as a CEO. We are running a lot of AI use cases at Cosmic. 
And uh, one of them is moderation of content, right? So you can't have pornographic content. And we have hundreds of thousands of images uploaded. Some of them are pornographic content. And it's not feasible to moderate it manually. So we needed an AI solution. And we tried to build it in-house. It was a catastrophe. It was awful. <laughs> it didn't work. It took three months of my time. Um, and it just, it just imploded. We couldn't put it into production. The performance was just not there. And then we figured out that AWS does it. Uh, for the fraction of the price that we were paying for the human moderation. So that's one of my like main lessons. Like every time before you go and try something into team, especially with AI and automation, do build by analysis because the chances are that it's out there cheaper because, you know, scale economics and you can just get it now and it solves a problem. Super important. Like I have it in front of my desk. Printed in the big letters, build or buy. It does pay to see. Has anyone else done this? Someone else doing it? You know, do I need to build it? Is the question. I want to get to a larger question about AI because you just can't ignore the numbers. I mean, it's great. You have double digit uplift. That is fantastic for you. But then you've got this huge body of research around what's going on in AI. And guess what? Depending on the analyst between 60 to 80% of projects fail, flat fail. What is it that you have to deal with and understand and expect to say, okay, it's going to start off, it's going to be a tough one, but it's going to pay off in the end. I'll start with you, Milan. It's easy with me because I understand AI and I'm bought into the idea. So when I saw the first numbers from Asetario and it was down, I was like, yeah, okay, it's noise. It's not statistically significant yet, right? But I can imagine that if I was running a billion dollar company, I, I know quite a few people who do this for my like McKinsey career in the past and PwC career. And I would say that I'm down 50 million. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a, that's a tough one to bite through. Yeah. I think the gap is the actual understanding of the technology. And it's not just on the side of decision maker and not panicking at the beginning because it's an iterative process, but it's also on the side of like picking the use cases. And I see this all the time uh, in the industry that people are just using AI on things that are not supposed to, like, that are not AI related. Um, you can solve the problem with a simple statistical method cheaper, quicker, more reliably. Exactly what you said about overcomplicating things. We've had uh, conversations with potential clients where we just had to tell them it doesn't make sense to apply AI here because uh, you, you're probably gonna be better off with a simple couple of rules um, which we're, we are still happy to do for you but you know just so you're aware um, second is the expectation management right like having an understanding of, of A-B testing as a concept and what goes into it and then Sometimes you just have to wait because especially early on in the test on small sample sizes, you, you know, sometimes you have one user who can skew the test by 10% up or down and it can go in our favor or it can go against us. And you need sometimes, you know, you might need weeks or even months of data to have uh, significant results. And the third thing is that I don't want to sound like the hero of the story here because oftentimes the teams that build the apps actually understand them the best. And where we were most successful historically is where we had a good understanding of the app through the eyes of the developer, where we had one-on-one -on -one time with them. We understood how things were intended, how the app works, and then we used that as a starting point. Look, I'm a mathematician. I'm a data-driven guy. And if you look at the case studies from um, 
for instance, Instagram, I did a personalization of the feed that you see. The time that people spent on the platform went up by 20%, I think, was it? Something between 20 to 30%. That is a lot of revenue advertisement for them. When Spotify did a personalization of the podcast that they suggest, it also went up by that double digits. And you can, you have examples and examples and examples of this. And then, I mean, sure, you are taking a risk when you are jumping on the train, but you're also taking a risk if you are ignoring the train. And I think we are at the moment when not entering the AI revolution creates a huge risk for your company. I, I didn't have a choice, essentially. Like I knew that I, you know, it's like you go or you die. Adapt. You felt compelled Adapt. to AI. Yes. No, but I mean, the competitors are doing this. The, the users are getting very, very, very demanding. So, I mean, eventually we just fell short. Like we can't just not innovate, right? I mean, that's what companies die of quite often. So it's, it's, it's like by now it's a necessity. I mean, if Tinder does this and they personalize your swiping queue, which we, by the way, do as well by now by using AI and they will personalize whatever you see, the users that you see, the messages that you get, the order of the messages that you get, your price, whatever else, and then you don't, it's just not good enough anymore, right? It's a new thing. You've never done it. Nobody has ever done it. It's new on the market. But I mean, it's a no-brainer. There, there is no other way. I mean, especially in the attention economy these days, right? You're competing with so many other stimuli. And in the end, you're, you're trying to cater to the individual preferences of those users uh, and what excites them about your app which is impossible to do manual and especially at your scale and, and, and as you're growing, it becomes harder and harder. But, you know, on the opposite hand, AI gets better and better with more data. So, you know, by, by uh, going through the AI transformation at the right time, um, you're really leveraging it. But that's just it. In a way, it's almost like having a superpower, but at the same time, not being able to use it at some level because you've got this great AI, but you need to have a data structure, a data infrastructure. In some places, you're going to be hindered by the fact that your customer's like, Hey, I really want to do this, but you know, it's like, uh, you know, driving a Ferrari. If you don't have the motor, you don't, you know, you don't go the speed. And there's a level of having to get to that point. What do you say to companies to say, okay, here's what you need. If you want to really hit the ground running and get the most out of AI. One thing is the quality of the data and the second thing is the, the volume of the data. But regardless, you know, uh, the model, the AI is 90% data. So if you have good data, uh, you can have really impactful results even with simplistic, uh, simplistic models. And then specifically for Acetara, we actually decided since you know data processing again is, is not something that um, we want to take as granted. Uh, we do all the data processing internally and then based on sort of like the data readiness of a client, we have different tiers of, of solutions available. So, so you work with Asoterio, obviously, because we discussed that Milan, but you also have printed out somewhere on your desk, the make or buy decision, always thinking about that. Help me understand, just li lift the lid a little bit on what an AI stack looks like. What do you buy? What do you have to resign yourself to making yourself? I think the question is more of a, what are the things that you want to build in-house? And there are certain use cases that do not have a good market solution yet. Some of them might be with uh, privacy, right? So some companies might not be willing to let go 
of the private data for like you know banks or insurance companies and even us like some of the data that we have like sexually um suggestive data it's difficult to like manipulate our special consents if we need an ai for this we will build it in-house and then there are the things that are differentiated to you on the market right so we for instance have a very specific matching algorithm that assesses the attractivity of the profile of the user. This is our competitive advantage. I'm not outsourcing it. This is what makes me valuable on the market, right? So certain things you want to build in-house um, so you can fortify your position in the market. And then the third one is simply a thing that is so specific that the solution is not there yet. So we have a support that is in-app built that has very like generic use cases. And we couldn't integrate ChatGPT or anything else because it just doesn't like it just doesn't fit. So we had to build it on our own, but it was very, very, very simplified. We talked about how you work together. It's a relationship. You're a dating app. You're at the center of the core of what relationships are, what's affinity, what makes them click. What clinches the deal when you look at an AI company? What should you be looking for? What you should be avoiding? I mean, when do you swipe left or right on an AI company? I'll start with you, Milan, because you obviously made your choice. What are the criteria? There are the usual KPIs, like what are the implementation costs? What is the, what is the performance? Um, how good of a fit that is? Um, what is the risk in terms of sharing the data, etc. And there are well-known frameworks. But um, with Assetario, it was actually a bit different. Because first of all, I think it's quite mutual. Like when we have calls together, we tend to refer to them as the best out-of-company calls we ever had. I think it <laughs> happened from both sides. <laughs> like my, my guys told me like, wow, this was the most official call I ever had. And uh, then I learned a few months afterwards that the Assetario people were discussing the same thing after the call in their meeting room. But mainly there's this term like, put your money where your mouth is, right? And um, some companies do this. Some companies tell you, look, I'm going to make an uplift and I'm going to take part of it. And then it sort of creates confidence, right? Because, okay, you make money if I make money. And um, that was like, we have a few of these models running for optimization. And uh, one of them is the model that we have the Assetario. So for me, it became a completely no-brainer decision. So it's like, okay, I mean, if we make money, great. Then I pay them because they deserve it, but I don't have to pay them anything otherwise. So I just tried it. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> That's quite a match. What do you say to that, Jakob? It's a bit tricky relationship to navigate in the sense that I'm the technical guy uh, being CTO, um, so I didn't necessarily make the sale, right? And, um, and the negotiation was actually done by the, my co-founder and the sales team. But then if something screws up, you know, I'm the person answering the questions. <laughs> um, but, you know, just having an open conversation, understanding each other, and I think is the, is the cornerstone here. I want to pick up on exactly that because I was thinking when I was putting this together, I have never had a show and I've done 500 episodes. I've never had a show where it was like people knew each other before, meet each other later in life. It's like that is a relationship for a relationship building app. I can't resist the urge to play a little bit of counselor here. So here you're on my show, right? Customer, vendor, and two guys who know each other from way back. It's all about conversation, open conversation, you said yourself. So I want you to tell each other what's on your mind, because of course, 
you learn from that communication and it ultimately improves everything. It's like a flywheel, you know, you sort of vent and then it gets better because you go to the part of the matter and you fix it. So Milan, what would you tell Jakob if you could? Here he is. Go ahead. So, um, so look, first of all, I'm super happy that we reconnected, that we are doing business together. Thanks for that. But um, look, man, you have a great thing going. I mean, we are a living example of that. Um, the company is going quite well. So, you know, and I, I, you are always like super modest. And when I ask like how it's going, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's going. And I think it would really maybe like serve you in a personal and professional life, you know, have the balls to, you know, take to the sky. <laughs> you are the front lead of the AI revolution. You are talking to, I'm of course not going to disclose, but to like great names on the market. So, no. Be ambitious. And that's how I'm not the that's how I'm not the CTO. Uh, sorry, that's how I'm not the CEO, right? <laughs> I know. Thank you. Yeah, for I mean, you are a founder, so yeah, push it. You, you have the right it. to do it. There you go. I was going to say that's some tough love for you, Jakob. What do you What do you say back to that? So I understand you. You've You've had quite a journey, um, like since we've known each other uh, in in high school, like between that and 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 now, and I sort of love where that journey has taken you. And I just want to encourage you to lean into that and, and keep kicking ass. Uh, you know, you're being a great CEO from what I can gather, right? Uh, as, as an outside spectator to the process. Um, it's just keep being you. There you go. Thanks, man. That's, that's, that, that's very nice to hear. And what the journey has been indeed. And the journey isn't over. It's just moving on. And, AI is so exciting. You know, the fun comes in AI when you do it well, when you see great results. Again, those results, they speak for themselves, but it's also early days where you can do things. You can be a pioneer. There is tons of room to innovate, push that envelope. Where are you currently having the most fun making your space, putting into practice what you thought maybe wasn't even possible? I'll start with you, Milan. So I've been always a huge protagonist of data-driven decision-making. And I recently got an opportunity to transform a well-established company that's in the market for 20 years now um, to make their leadership data-driven. And um, it's incredible. It's so much fun. I'm learning a lot in terms of my personal leadership and also getting like valuable experience from completely different segment of the market. It's, it's a few weeks effort, but I'm very occupied with that right now. And, um, yeah, and I, like, I cannot stress how much this is important. And I think we didn't say it before. One of the absolutely key, um, sort of indicators of success in terms of AI, it's the buy-in of the leadership team. Um, so I'm helping to achieve that. And it's a great learning experience to see how to sort of bend the, the the culture a bit more towards data so you're transforming in your spare time is what i'm hearing here that's pretty phenomenal so i need to wrap it up and talk about what we can expect from both of you because your hobby is transformation milan that's pretty cool Jakob. you're thinking about other use cases for ai and the both of you are for me you know like the 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 textbook example of where this can go looking at the low-hanging fruit, optimizing that, going bit by bit, accepting volatility, accepting uncertainty, because the payoff is going to be massive. So what can we expect from Asoterio and maybe even you yourself, Jakob? We're, we're uh, looking for the next round of financing in 24. Um, 
we've had you know, success in expanding outside the gaming market, which is our, our lending zone that we are working with multiple non-gaming apps and it's going quite well. So we're actually thinking of how can we make this even smoother, even more integrated for our customers and what are the other use cases that we can solve uh, for them? Is it the support? Is it the, the visuals? Is it the, the game design? Or is it economy, the pricing of items? So it's sort of like constant flow of ideas uh, that I think can be built on our platform. Uh, and then me personally, I've, I've been on a journey of, of you know, from uh, a data science practitioner to a team lead to a leader of, 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 of teams. Um, and I'm, you know, in the startup world, constantly learning new skills, hard and soft. But AI remains my passion. Probably tons of lessons and a reason to have you back just to talk about how to build the team, oh, how to build the teamwork. You know, it's hard skills and it's soft skills if you really want to work with AI. It's about understanding a lot about behavior. I'll put a note. Finding that unicorn data scientist, we could have a whole book yeah, about that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. You know, the augmented marketer meets data scientist, it's all coming. Data science-driven marketing is what I'm calling it now, rather than data-driven marketing. It is really where things are moving. And speaking of moving, what about yourself, Milan? What can we expect? Oh, um, I'm, of course, committed to Cosmic. I feel like there's a lot of AI use cases and a lot of people working on that. So... If I were to pivot, I would probably go into AI strategy. So what does it mean to make an AI transformation for a company? How do you put together these use cases so it's sensible and it actually creates additional value? And I feel like there is no answer to this and there's nobody who's doing this. So if I were to jump, I would jump into this space and with a combination of XCO, Oxford AI and McKinsey experience, I think I would be the right guy for this. I think I'd raise my hand to ghostwrite your first book. <laughs> Because <laughs> that would be phenomenal, I have to say. No, seriously. I mean, I know you're a busy man and you're doing what you're doing, but that's exactly it. You know, if you could uh, just to give back every now and then, I think we would all benefit. And speaking of benefit, I think we've all benefited from having the two of you together. It's like the meeting of the minds here and so practical. You know, I was thinking at the beginning, oh, this might be over everyone's head, but it's not. It's all the more valuable because we can use what you're talking about, understand it, and hey, even uh, even latch on to some of that low-hanging fruit in the year ahead. I mean, pricing is a no-brainer. Right price, right segmentation, right personalization. Everyone can pay for your service. Isn't that great? And you still get dividends in the end. So I'd like to thank you so much for sharing. Jakob, it was amazing. I will have you back on that. Make a note of that for sure. And Milan, thank you, more power to you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I had a blast.